let me start by saying that we, we it's no surprise to any of you that we live in a, in a world of lies and deception. Uh, our world is deafened by a cacophony of voices, endless articles posting half-truths, fake news, left and right. Everybody has a voice. And, and sometimes those voices lead, lead us to think certain things about ourselves they lead us to think certain things about other people and about God himself. And if you're anything like me, over the last few days, you have felt depressed. You felt depressed at the state of our nation. You felt depressed over the effects of sin. You felt depressed over the lack of civility and communication. Depressed over the lack of listening on everyone's part. But those feelings are to be expected because we live in a sinful world. We feel the effects of that, and we ourselves deal with the battle that rages on in our own selves in that war between our two natures as Christians, our sinful flesh and our new nature, which has been given to us. And by God's grace, that is what we're studying this morning together as we look at this epistle of James, a letter that was written to all Christians. My hope and prayer is that through the sitting under the authority of the word of God, we might be changed and transformed by it. That we would genuinely hear and respond to what it tells us. And that the church would build one another up as we go out into this broken world with the words of truth, living by them and living in them, that God would give us wisdom as his people. So let's have a brief prayer. Father, we are grateful that we can gather with little ones here as a body, as a family. Uh, it's exciting to hear little ones crying, in fact, because it's a signal to us that your church is growing that there are little ones being entered into the covenant of faith, um, even at this young age. And so, Father, we pray for even their little hearts, that in your sovereign, perfect timing, that their eyes would be open to see and know the truth of Christ. And for each of us, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you're teaching us from your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Telling lies is quite normal for sinful people. We totally underestimate the power and the destructive force of deceit. We need to know that lies are the devil's forte. Peter describes him as a lion prowling around looking for whom he can devour. Both Peter and James talk about resisting him. And James has those reassuring words, and he will flee from you. We must remember that the devil, while he is our enemy, while he is enraged at his defeat on the cross, uh, as he seeks to persecute Christ's people, while he is our accuser, while he is our adversary, yet he is defeated. His lies can be answered with truth, his accusations answered by the cross. 
his power over us is broken. Look at what Jesus says of him and his power and his methodology in John chapter 8, starting in verse 42. Jesus says to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Here is the devil, a murderer and a liar, the father of lies. We think of those two things as being fairly different, right? A murderer is about as serious a crime as you can declare. But lying, lying is trivial, It's normal. If we arrested everybody who was a liar, we would all be in prison. We don't realize the power of lies or the unity between murder and lies. We don't realize that the devil murders by telling lies. He's known as the accuser because he accuses God's people, but his accusations are lies. Lies against us that we are not forgiven Lies against the gospel that we are not forgiven. Lies against God that we are not forgiven. Jesus says, this is what he has been like from the beginning. Consider the Genesis account of the fall of mankind. Genesis 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Notice the character of the serpent here. He's crafty. It's it's subtle. It's clever. And notice how he brings the woman to eat the fruit three deceits. He questions God's word. Did God really say? He denies God's word. You will not surely die. And he accuses God of false motives. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil's saying, you know, God's not really interested in you and your welfare. He is looking out for himself. He's looking after his own turf, his own territory. Go ahead, eat of the tree, you'll be crafty like me and you'll know good and evil like him. 
She believed the lies. She saw the fruit was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and good for obtaining wisdom. It was in lies that the deed was done. She ate of the tree, gave some to her husband. She says later in verse 13, the serpent deceived me. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about the woman being deceived as Adam sinned. That deception has led us all into death. For that is the power of Satan, promising freedom and delivering captivity, promising life and delivering death, promising self-rule and him becoming our Lord. And it was all done by nothing other than telling lies. The devil has no power in and of himself. He only has the power we give him. We reject his lies, he has no power over you. You accept his lies, and he owns you. Lies are very powerful things, and so scripture again and again and again reminds us not to be deceived. And that is where we pick up in James. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So as the pilgrim is faced with trial, instead of counting it all joy, as James tells us to, we tend to develop, rather, instead of counting it pure joy in that developing of our, our perseverance and our endurance, in that development of character, in that growing in spiritual maturity, we're actually more tempted to throw in the towel, to, to, to say it's too hard, it's just too difficult, it's too much to bear, it's easier to view my trial this way. A million messages that comes to our heads when we face these trials of many kinds, and these messages are lies. They don't come from God, for God doesn't tempt. See verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The testings may be used by God, but he is never tempting us into sin. They are our own temptations. In fact, don't even blame Satan. He, he may have come up with the lies, but it's we are the ones who accept and believe those lies. It's within us that we hear those lies, even the lie that God is tempting us, which he never does. And we carry those around in our heads and we play with those ideas, which then give rise to fulfillment. But you see, it all starts in our heads and you see how it develops step by step. Each person is tempted when he is lured, he is enticed by his own desires. Then after desire has taken place, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has fully uh, grown, it brings forth death. And with temptation, there are only two outcomes. Verse 12, the crown of life. Verse 15, death. Sin gives birth to death. I, I cannot think of a more a starker contrast. 
But I think this needs clarification because I think you could misinterpret this because we, we know that the wages of sin is death. But we also know as Christians that Christ died for us, that our sin was placed on him, those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Christ. So what is James saying here about death? Through endurance and perseverance, we come to wholeness that is ours in Christ. Through desire and sin, we forfeit that wholeness and instead embrace death. And so what do you want to embrace? We live in between the already and the not yet. I think James is telling us that we need to take sin and death seriously and not treat it as trivial, especially as God's people. We are either feeding sin and death and the old nature and embracing it, or we feed the spirit and life and our new nature. We also need to know that God doesn't tempt us. Apart from him being sinless, God gives generously every good gift. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And, and, and amongst his gifts, the heavenly gift of rebirth through his word. Here it is in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. First fruits being a, a word of assurance that the rest of the harvest is coming. The first fruits of the harvest were the first part of the harvest that you give to God. But you're accepting the reality that the rest of the harvest is coming. We are like the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth because we have already been recreated. We have this enormous gift of rebirth through the gospel, through the word of truth, which is why we now live in our pilgrimage accepting that word, listening to that word, living by that word. And that word becomes our way of life. We don't resent God when he speaks to us. We long to hear what God has to say. That we can learn more from him. That we can learn more of him. Of what he wants for us. Of what he wants to do for us. Of how he wants to use us. Of how he wants to help us. For example, you are all here this morning, 9 o'clock, at church. There are kids everywhere crying. <clears throat> You've come here to hear someone talk about the Bible. Only those who are on the pilgrimage, only those who want to hear God's word, only those who know the value of living God, by God's word want to be here. I'm glad you're here. Otherwise, this would have been a very sad event. We're all glad you're here. We're each other. We're all glad each other is here. I think your kids somehow are glad that you're here. And you are showing your kids what is important to you by being here. Now, verse 19, James begins to show this basic way of living for us. 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Boy, do we need those verses today with this angry world that we live in. We all want our voices heard. I even think of uh, that top line on Facebook where it's, what's on your mind? As if people care what's on my mind. But everyone thinks that. People want to know what I think. We all want everyone to know, right? It's whatever the issue of the day is, whatever the, whatever the latest thing that's happening in our world, the latest thing that's happening in the news, we think people want to know what we think. And yet, how quick we are to pass judgment on others and their behavior without removing the log from our own eye. So now, we have been born again by God's word. We have something to listen to that's a lot more important than anything we have to say, namely the word of God. And just as we may be slow to speak... We must also be slow to anger because our anger is not like God's anger. I know there is a righteous anger, but when Paul talks about righteous anger, he also says righteous anger, but do not sin because our anger is temperamental. It it, it tends to give over to passions that are that are not right and not just expressing our own frustrations because we have set for ourselves uh, unreasonable goals. And our anger isn't controlled, which results in causing more damage, far more damage than we may have thought or meant. If you're dealing with anger in any capacity, I wish you would come and talk to myself or one of the pastors on staff because anger is one of the things you have to learn to manage. Anger can destroy families. Anger can destroy relationships. Anger destroys communities and life itself. Verse, 20, verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Meekly or humbly because we now live under the rule of God. We understand our role in that. Implanted because God's Holy Spirit implanted it in us as he brings us to new life through it. One of the saddest forms of deceit and deception is self-deception. And there are two self-deceptions mentioned here. The terrible self-deception in verse 22 of hearing but not doing. We can come to church Sunday after Sunday. We can go to Bible study every single week. If you do not put into practice, then you do not know anything and are actually deceiving yourself. People can stand up and wave a Bible around. They can tell you they know exactly what the Bible says. But if there is no fruit, they are manifestly not living by it. It's like the profession of faith without actions. I gave the example two weeks ago when we started the James, which has now become a series, uh, of a friend of mine who knew the Bible so well, and I I was almost embarrassed how well he knew it, and I knew nothing, and I'm the preacher's kid, and he's the football coach's kid. And yet, if you look at his life, nothing paired up with his knowledge. 
And that's heartbreaking when you see someone who knows their Bible so well and yet they don't know how to apply it. The second self-deception in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Faith is not professing to believe. Faith is doing what knowledge requires. It's putting God's word into action. It's being single-minded and not double-minded, for the double-minded person has forgotten what he has already read. He has deceived himself about his religion, not realizing that his religion is, according to this verse, worthless. So the pilgrim's walk is not one of doubt, but of faith. For the pilgrim who is born again by God's word is now living not the double-minded life of one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. He's not the doubter like that, but someone who speaks the truth to put God's word into action. And so we no longer live as the Gentiles desire, We are made new in true righteousness and holiness. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in your spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have moved from the deceit and lies of the devil to the truth of the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And who said to pagan Pontius Pilate, I have come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? A son of the devil, if you've ever heard one. He's essentially saying, well, we can't know what truth is. There's your truth. There's my truth. They disagree with each other, but it's all right because there is no truth. You unplug from God, you unplug from truth. You unplug from truth, guess who your God is? The father of lies. Do not be deceived. Put off the old self. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Let's pray.
Father, again, I think the definition of what a distraction is should be clarified because it's a joy to hear little ones crying out because it's a reminder of little ones who need to hear the truth. It's a reminder of a world that is blind, that has been deceived and needs to hear truth, truth in love. And so, Father, may we not be people who come out in anger with fists shaking and tell everyone how blind they are, but let us be people who have examined ourselves and then go out with the truth, with the life, with the knowledge of Christ and share it out of hearts that are not angry, but hearts that have such a desire to see those blind have sight that your Holy Spirit would do his work in the opening of their eyes, but using us as the vessels. And so, Father, help us to be people who are putting off the old self, looking to Christ, growing in Christ-likeness, growing in the knowledge of him so that we can have wisdom and grow in spiritual maturity, that we can be people who receive that crown of life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing and respond this morning.